Haggai 2, 6-9 For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all the nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Good morning. <clears throat> A special welcome to the guests that we have in our number today, or from other places, or from the community. We're glad that you've come our way. It's a blessing to have you here, and just thankful that you've chosen to, to worship the Lord today. We hope that you have a, an opportunity to do that here, and to, to hear from His Word. And as we welcome you, we, uh, in a very sad way, are bidding farewell to a brother today. Our brother Rick Lee Williams uh, is going to be moving uh, very soon to Arizona for work. And Rick Lee... Uh, if you don't know Rick Lee, it's because you're not involved in the church. Let me just tell you, because Rick Lee is here every time the doors are opened, and a lot of times when they're not, he's out here doing work around the building and helping out in a variety of ways. Rick Lee, we have so appreciated you as a part of our family, and thank you for your ministry and your service, and uh, wish you the best in your move. And this is a double... Uh, 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 just hard on me. I, Rick Lee is, uh, has become a great friend and one of the best neighbors you could ever hope to have. We're next door neighbors and, uh, it's not going to be the same seeing that old, uh, ugly truck of yours parked out there, but, uh, I will miss you and, uh, we wish you the best in your move, brother. God bless you. It was the summer of 1950 when my mom and dad bought their first and only house. A three-bedroom, one-bath, 5360 West 124th Place in Hawthorne, California. Uh, they paid $9,500 for their brand new house. It cost a little more, I know, it was a little high because they wanted the corner lot. Uh, and um, a year later, I was born. For the next 21 years of my life, virtually every day unfolded in this house with my mom and my dad and my sister, all of my childhood memories Everything about life was here, all the company, all the relatives, all the folks from church who came over. From kindergarten through college, I lived in this house. And then later, of course, uh, after Ellen and I married for the next 45 years, we came back to this house. We came back for Christmas and for birthdays and for Thanksgiving. And Linda and her husband and their kids came and my aunts and uncles and all the cousins. This is, this is where we came for everything, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas for years. I know every inch of that house, every inch. Um, and it is so full of memories, such dear, wonderful, amazing memories all of my life for 65 years, was connected to that house. When my father died, my mom, of course, stayed in the house. There was never really any question about that. And in July of 2016, asleep in her bed, she passed away in the house in which she had lived for 66 years. Then came the task of selling the house. 
Mom had already uh, given so much away. Uh, everybody in the family had things that she wanted them to have, things that she felt they had a connection with. There were still a few things there that, that had that connection for us, and we took those treasures. There really was nothing of great value. My mom and dad didn't have anything of great monetary value. It was sentimental value and connections to them or connections to the house. And then we went through all of the stuff and all of the cabinets and put it out on tables and two Saturdays had a a big sale and sold everything that was left in the house. We sold that family home that we had had for 66 years. Um, Lots of memories. Um, A lot of very good memories. We anticipated, especially my sister and but all of us in the family, because the house was important to everyone. It was the meeting place for the family for that entire time span. We anticipated how difficult it was going to be to sell the house, and to not have this house, to not be able to go there anymore. And, and yet at the end, I was there alone the last time that I was at the house after everything was done. Um, I was there just taking care of some last-minute things. The house was empty. It was sold. Escrow had closed just the last time through. And I walked through every room of the house and thought about what had happened there. And something happened to me as I did that. Most of you, I'm a pretty sentimental guy, uh, as you, most of you know. But something happened to me that I wasn't expecting. As I went through the house and thought about all of the things that were dear to me, the house was empty. Mom and Dad are gone. And it dawned on me that as important as that house was to me, it wasn't really the house. It was the people who lived in the house. It was the memories that occurred in the house. It was the relationships that were built in that house. It was... It was the life that was lived in the house. Even though the house was dear to a certain degree, it wasn't the heart of my life. The heart of my life were those people and those memories and those relationships, which I found, strangely, were still very much alive in me, within me, completely intact as I walked out of that house for the last time. A year before my mom and dad bought that house, This family bought a house, bought some property, and built a house. And through the years, like my house, it changed and had additions. Things happened to that house. And I've thought over the last few weeks, especially, how many people have called this their home, have come here, have met with the family here in our house. How many people have been born to parents here in this, in this house through the years. Uh, how many baby showers, how many weddings, how many Bible classes, how many pajama Sundays have there been? Uh, how, how many potlucks have we had? How many vacation Bible schools? How many youth rallies? How many gospel meetings? How many seminars? How many sermons have you heard in this house? Yeah. <laughs> Did I hear somebody whistle over there? <laughs> yeah, because they're so good, right? No. I, I, I've been here 23 years, and there's a little corner of this building over there that I've been going to a whole lot for the last 23 years, my office. And it's weird to think that I'm not going to go to that office here pretty quick. 
that I'm not going to be standing here in this room with all of you at this particular place. But it strikes me that I'm liable to have a very similar experience once this building is empty. And none of you are in it. And if I were to happen to be in it alone and walk through it and think about all the things that happened here. I would realize that it's not so much the sheetrock and the orange pews I'm going to miss. But let's be honest, are we ever going to forget the orange pews? I mean, now for those of you who don't know, in the 70s, this was like the color, okay, along with a certain shade of green. Uh, I know because I lived through that time period. It was, a, it was a frightening time period in decorations. But anyway, we got through it, but we still have the orange pews. But that's not it, is it? It's not the sheetrock. It's not the pendulum lights hanging down that have been there for 50 years or 40 or whatever it's been. What's, what's important about it? This place is who's been here, who's lived here, and who's shared life here, and the relationships that we've had, and the closeness that we've built, and the ministry that's done, and the worship that's taken place, the relationships that we have in Christ, the life that has been lived by the people who have been coming to this building. That's the heart of who we are. And and that doesn't go away. Going back to my my mom and dad aren't gone. I know they're not physically here on the earth, but my mom and dad aren't gone, and my family's had a future. And the same thing is true with all of us. I don't make light of this building any more than I do my family home. But ultimately, our lives are not about brick and mortar. And by the way, this isn't our home. It's a house. Our home is not in this world. Here we are but strain pilgrims. Don't get too tied to anything on this earth. Because this isn't where home belongs. Home is in the presence of the Lord. And we don't make light of those places that are dear to us. But ultimately our lives are about love and relationship and people and family and worship and ministry and service. All of which continues Without missing a beat, it continues. It may be the end of a chapter, but it's not the end of our family. Somebody said to one of the folks here, Oh, I'm so, it's just heartbreaking that you sold your church. (laughs) They said, No, no, we didn't sell the church. We just sold a building. (laughs) The church is still, yeah, the church is still okay. Uh, it's, It's the building that has been sold. And we do have a future, we have new life. In this church, we have vision and dreams for this church. And don't you know that God has a future planned for us as his people? So today, let's recognize memories of the past are wonderful. I'm a, I, I get caught up with nostalgia and looking back in, in a variety of aspects of my life. And it's enjoyable. There's nothing wrong with that. It can be very healthy to look back on your past and see the blessings that you've enjoyed, see the wonderful things that God has done. But it can also be crippling to so focus on the past that you can't see what God's doing right in front of you or what God would have you do in the future or what service or opportunities or ministry that He may be giving to you. And you can be robbed of the joy of the present and the future because we just idolize the past and can't let go of it. 
There's a story in the Old Testament that we're going to look at briefly today that, at least for me, helps me examine my attitudes toward the past and the present and the future. And it's a story that's told in the book of Ezra, but our text primarily is going to come from the prophet Haggai. The year's about 520 B.C., um, 66 years since the fall of Jerusalem, roughly, and Israel has gone to captivity, they've come back. The place is a shambles, the place is a wreck, the Babylonians have completely destroyed it, the temple's been destroyed, and of course work begins on the, on the temple. But then work stops, there's some opposition, there's some people who get discouraged, and then finally the prophet Haggai, several years later, comes along and begins to speak to the people. First of all, to the leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua. Zerubbabel is the governor of Judea, been appointed by the Medo-Persians. But Zerubbabel is also a direct descendant of King David. He is in the lineage that will go to the Messiah. He is, he is not a king here in Israel, but he is the governor. And he's taken that, that political role in a sense. Joshua is the high priest, and, and Haggai addresses them. And, and, and calls them out, and the people as well, saying, Hey, uh, you didn't stop building your houses when things got rough. I've noticed you've finished, you finished your add-on at your home. You know, you've expanded this, and you've got... Well, what about the house of the Lord? Why haven't you been building it? And the people respond. Zerubbabel and, and Joshua immediately repent, call the people to repentance, and the process of rebuilding the temple continues. And it's about a month later... That, um, that Haggai addresses the people again. And what he says to them may be somewhat of a surprise. In Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, In the seventh month, on the twenty-first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? <laughs> that guy just, just uh, goes straight to the elephant in the room. <laughs> which is, this temple is pitiful. (laughs) And some of you were here to see the last one, and you know, and you're thinking, and Haggai just comes out and says what people are thinking. He knows that's what people are thinking. Isn't that what you're thinking? Isn't that how you see it? Isn't this temple like nothing in your eyes? The first temple, built by Solomon. This was the golden age of Israel. This was when Israel was mighty. This is when Israel was wealthy. All of the gold, the silver, the bronze that went into the making of the temple, the artistry of the temple, the cedars of Lebanon, thousands upon thousands of craftsmen working tirelessly to build this house for God. And now, here you have this group of exiles, and there's just a bunch of rubble. And yeah, they've got to bring some things back from their Babylonian captivity, for utensils and so forth in the temple, but they're poor. And yeah, they've given, and they're trying to do their best. But come on, it just doesn't begin to look anything like what they have experienced before. And Ezra supplies a little bit more about this in Ezra chapter 3, around verse 10, 
when he's telling this story at the beginning of the building of the temple. It says that all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard a long way. You see what's happening here. Some people were there when the temple was, the first temple was still functioning. They're old now. They were kids, maybe teenagers, when they went off into captivity and they've come back. And Ezra says, when the foundation of the temple is laid, they start crying and weeping. Why? Because it just doesn't compare to what they knew. But there's another generation standing there that's shouting for joy. Ezra said there was so much noise going on, you couldn't really tell if people were crying or cheering. But they're, but they're crying for joy, and they're shouting for joy. Why? Because they're home, and the temple of the Lord is being rebuilt, and captivity is over, and they've been restored in their relationship with God, and they're looking forward to the future where God will come and dwell within His temple again, and they will worship the Lord at the temple. They have such a different perspective about this situation. Looking to the future or looking to the past. You see how it changes the present. And sometimes looking to the past in a way that idolizes the past. We may find ourselves, maybe not quite so drastically, but in the present day, Facing somewhat of a similar situation, I don't hear a great deal of weeping and crying, so I'm assuming that probably isn't going to be happening. But you know, as we, we're at a, a monumental crossroads in our life as a congregation, and we look back today, and we look forward today, it's possible that some could look back and weep as they fasten on things that they see from the past, while others are looking to the future and are looking at it with enthusiasm, with zeal, and with hope of what God has in store for us down the road. And I think this is a text for us to think about. I think it's a story that intersects with where we are exactly right now as a congregation, and we need to hear the text and reflect on it and make application of it And I think it starts with praising God for the past. Praising God for everything He's done through His people here, through the years, wherever we happen to be meeting at the time. Praising God for His faithfulness. Praising God for His power. Praising God for the souls that have been won to Christ. Praising God for the deep relationships that we've known. Praising God for those that have gone before us who are faithful to Him, that we've been separated from for for a short while at least praising God for the past and looking back with fondness at what God has done and grateful for that. And at the same time, looking forward with a sense of anticipation. Perhaps something like those folks did back in 1949 when they bought this piece of property. Looking forward, thinking about what could be, what could happen next. And there's a little bit of a little frightening kind of aspect to it because it's so unknown to us and we don't know what the future holds. But that's partly what this text is all about. And it's going to say something about that in just a moment. But we look at our 
our present. We look at what God has done for us. We look at the resources He's placed within our hands and the opportunities that He's allowing us to move forward to. And I just want to say, so often, older people have this stereotype associated with them. That older people just can't deal with change. And older people are going to have this kind of reaction or that. Well, I resent that. I am one of those older people, by the way. But I would just like to say, one of the, one of the most wonderful things that I've seen happen over the last few weeks is some of those that are the oldest among us who have been so positive about the direction that this congregation is taking, who've been so supportive of it. One who said, you elders said you were praying for the wisdom of the Lord. I'd say he granted it to you. I thank God for those older among us who can look at this situation. And I think a lot of us who are older do. We look at it this way. We look at it as a way to pass the baton on to the next generation and to put them in a location and in a place that is suitable for the church today and for the future, that will unburden the future generation from any kind of debt or expense, and rather than that, actually put the Lord's money into their hands for greater ministry, missions, outreach, and evangelism. And I thank God for that opportunity and for so many who have seen that. Listen to what, what, uh, what Haggai says. What Haggai says to the people of his day. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came up out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. And here, what God says to these people living through this transition. First of all, be strong. And He says it first of all to the leaders. Leaders, be strong. This is a time to stand up and lead the people of God and to do so faithfully and confidently. Be strong. And then He says to the people, people, be strong. This is not a time to waste away. This is not a time to give up or to be afraid of what the future may hold. This is a time to put your trust in God and be strong. God said, work. Work. This is a time to work. This is not a time to sit around and reminisce about the good old days. This is a time to work for the present and the future that God is placing before you and the opportunities that He's giving you from this day forward. This is a day to work, not to sit around and to think about old times, but to get out and create new things. Work, for I am with you. God is saying to the people, do you think I'm not here? Do you think I'm not going to provide the resources that you need? I'm always here. I am with you. I'm the faithful God. He goes on to say, it's according to the covenant that I made with you. You're my covenant people. I've made promises to you. You can count on those promises and be faithful and work and be strong and do the things that you need to be doing right now. In their case, to build up the temple, to get the worship of Yahweh back up on its feet in the city of Jerusalem. He says, my spirit remains in your midst. God said, I'm right there. 
And I think of when we hear those words about the Spirit of God being in our midst, we, I think of how the Spirit of God is within the church and how the Spirit of God is within us individually as the gift of the Spirit. God is saying to us at every moment of our life, but especially at times like this, look, I'm with you. My Spirit's with you. We've got a covenant here. I'm faithful. I don't back down from my promises. You can trust me and therefore fear not. Fear not. When I read this text, I just thought how directly it speaks to me. And I think how directly it speaks to us at this moment. This is a time to be strong. It's a time to work. It's a time to recognize the Lord is with us, that His Spirit is among us, that we have a covenant God who is always faithful to us. And of course then, we are not going to fear because God is with us and God will lead us into the future that He's designed for us. That's what follows in the text. The future for these people. And I'm telling you, it was nothing like they thought it was going to be. In verses 6 through 9, the prophet goes on, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. God promises that He's going to do something, that He's going to act, that He's going to shake the nations. The treasures are going to pour into this place. That the latter glory of the house will far surpass the former glory. That's not what they're experiencing at the moment. At the moment, they're thinking, this is nothing like Solomon's temple, and it can never be. And God says, well, I'm going to do something. Now, the fulfillment of this prophecy, I think, takes place in, in two different ways. First of all, if we had time to go back and read out of Ezra chapter 6, we're going to see that literally during these times, uh, Darius the Mede sends money and, and, and things, uh, provisions and animals and all sorts of things to be used in sacrifices at the temple. That it happens in a very literal, concrete sense, even in those very days. But of course, what Haggai is being told here, what God is saying through him, is something even greater than that. And that is the coming of the Christ, the coming of the Messiah, and the glory of the temple of God when the Messiah comes and all of the nations come, and God shakes the nations and brings all the people to Himself. That's what we experience in Christ today, the latter glory, which is so far beyond the glory of any earthly temple. And so God calls His people to move forward, and He promises to do for them Something far beyond anything that they could imagine. God has plans for us. I'm not sure what all those plans might entail, but I know that He does. And it's not going to be the same. 
You know, it's never the same. Even as we stay here, it's not the same, not really. And honestly, it shouldn't be the same. We're living in different times in a different world with different opportunities. And as we move forward at this particular point as a congregation, it ought to be with that kind of anticipation of what does God have in store for us now? Where are we going to be able to make an impact? How can we better serve? How can we make improvements to the ministry that we've done? How can we be more effective in reaching out to the lost? What can we do to build up the kingdom of God? And know this for certain, that God continues to long to pour out His grace and glory on this lost world around us through His people, through you and I, through the family of God, through the church. That He longs, as He always has. This is God's work always through the church. Whatever the address of our meeting place is, the work of God continues. And, and And we recognize this. And that wherever we meet, we are about proclaiming the grace of God and glorifying Him for what He's done for us in Christ and telling others about that. And to make that happen, we've got to do not only what the folks did back in Haggai chapter 2, but about what our folks did about 70 years ago. Because about 70 years ago right here, people stepped out in faith and people did something new and people did something different. And they didn't know how it was going to turn out. And they didn't know where it would lead. But they trusted in the Lord. And they were strong. And they were not afraid. They were men and women of faith. All of whom we have received such a heritage of faith from as it's been passed down through the generations. And here we are. And God calls for us to move forward in faith. To step out in faith, to look to the future with new eyes and with great enthusiasm and zeal. To know that God is with us. To know that God is calling for you and I right now and for this church to be strong. God is calling for the elders of this church to be strong in the way that we lead forth confidently trusting in the Lord. God is calling for every member of our family to be strong in our faith. To recognize that God is among us. He's our covenant God. He is faithful to us. He is always faithful to us. He will not forsake us. He will lead us through. And I tell you, I hope and pray that in your heart, you are shouting for joy and praising God for the amazing opportunities that He's giving us right now. For the way that He has blessed us. He has blessed us so abundantly with so many resources that we can can turn around and use in those things that are dearest to His heart. We are so blessed. Let us embrace our future. Today we honor our past. We're grateful for our past. We thank God for our past. But we embrace the days that are ahead. And in the moment, in the present, we stand strong and faithful ready to serve, ready to sacrifice, ready to be involved in the work of the Lord because there is so much work to be done. There are so many lost souls who need the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And I hope and pray that we as a church will just continue to move forward in that spirit. Uh, I'm not saying these things today because I'm seeing anything different than that. 
I'm just thinking it's time, it's good for us as a congregation to perhaps think of what we're experiencing in light of an event in Scripture that, though different, does deal with some of the same dynamics so that we can be honest about those things and talk about them, but ultimately so we can move into the future with joy and with hope and with zeal, with enthusiasm, praising God for our opportunities, thanking Him for the past, and determining that whatever comes, we will trust in the Lord God, we will be obedient to His Word, we will do everything in our lives and in the life of this church to glorify Him. The lesson today is essentially for us here in the family going through this particular moment in time. But I would say to any who are among us, especially if if you're not yet a Christian and a part of the covenant community of God, a part of the church, God has a future for you that you couldn't believe. A future free of guilt and sin. A future secured for you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so today, if you know that gospel message, if you know who Jesus is and you're ready to turn from your past and to turn toward a future that God can create in you through the presence of His Spirit and the new life that you can have, we invite you to come to Him, to confess your faith, to be baptized into Christ, to begin a new life, a life that God will lead, a life in which you can glorify the Lord. As we sing this song, let's look to our present and to our future, committed to trust the Lord and to obey what He calls us to do. Let's stand together and sing.